Jesus, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that for the truths that we are able to sing here every Sunday as we celebrate your word. Lord, we thank you that we are an Easter people. The Easter is not a date on a calendar. The Easter is the reason that we wake up on Sundays and get together. So God, I pray that uh, the spirit of your resurrection, the truth that we celebrated last week, God, that we will realize that truth has not walked away from us this week. That we look into your word and we do not hear words that were written down by a man get on in his dying breath. But God, you have breathed to us to live through your living word um, statements that will direct us to you over and over. We ask all this in your powerful name. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, we, uh, before Easter, finished a series uh, called, out of the book of Colossians called, creatively, Colossians. And it was a good time. We spent weeks hearing what Paul said to the church at Colossae. Last week was Easter Sunday, so uh, a pastor and a worship pastor get to focus a lot on that and this week we're starting a series called uh, Straight Out of Context and, and the reason for that is when we look into the Bible there are times where we hear verses that are used that are misused and I want us as a body of believers when we look at these passages to be able to be honest about what they're saying to deconstruct what's there and to Take apart all of the myth and all of the capitalism that may cause us to see these verses in a way that God would not have us to see them and to walk away and to understand them better and to love Jesus more because of what he is actually saying to us rather than what we would like for him to say. I have a... Uh, confession to make to you. Uh, I remember my, my first Sunday here, January the 8th of 2017. Uh, it was, I was, had come and they'd asked me to, to preach and then you guys were going to talk about my preaching and then we would make a decision as to what happened. Spoiler alert, I'm here. Uh, but as part of that service, Jared and I just talked through what it would mean to have a room full of people. Let's just stand up and, and have people read their favorite passages. Would anybody here? Does anyone remember that? Okay, and we'll do that from time to time. And I've done that at various uh, events for colleges and, and students and women's prayer breakfasts and bar mitzvahs and whatever they let me talk at. But I don't ever get to talk bar mitzvahs. But uh, there are certain verses that you hear over and over and over. And they're the verses that are the most easily accessible, the most readily available. They are the verses that when we hear them, we know them and we know where they're going. They're the verses that are typically uh, given uh, graphics on Pinterest. They are the verses that we use at graduations and when someone has a baby. They are verses that when we hear them, they cause us to think, oh, that would be cool on a keychain. They're the verses that make us think we can rip phone books in half. The Bible is full of verses that if we take them and just isolate them, we can see, oh, wow, this sounds pretty. This sounds neat. 
This is a, a Hebrew poem for us. But in so doing, we may be missing what God is actually saying. I think the number one most popular verse that people like to use in regard to, I want a verse that is my verse. I want a verse that is about me. Is Jeremiah 29 verse 11. Now, as I say that, there are some of you, and that's your calligraphy verse. You're hiding your keychain as I talk right now. <laughs> None of the Bible verses are about you. They're for you. And they're to you. But the point of the Bible is always Jesus. And we want to see Jesus here. So let me, let's just look at this together. Uh, as we talk about that idea of the, the room-wide Bible reading, when you do that, you'll hear various translations. Not so much in, in this room, because all of you guys are rocking that ESV for the most part. But let me give you some examples uh, of that. The most popular translation for any use of Jeremiah 29.11 is the New International Version. Uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. The New Living Translation says this. For I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good and they are not plans for disaster. To give you a future and hope. The message, a paraphrase that was provided to us by Eugene Peterson says this, I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not to abandon you. Plans to give you the future that you're hoping for. The ESV that we read out of commonly in here says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Can you see why the NIV is the most popular? It's way easier to sell God will make you prosper to a room full of capitalists than it will be to sell God will give you welfare. Like we know that, right? It's just an easier push. God's going to put you into a place where you're having to sign up for help. So as we look at this text today, I want us to look at it with hopefully open eyes. As Texans, you should look at this with clear eyes and full hearts that can't lose. 29, we're going to begin in verse 1 because when you read Bible verses, you should usually start at least in the chapter you're in. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after Jeconia and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa and the son of Shaphan and Gamaria, 
the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Most of those names I pronounced properly. Some of them sound like people from Avengers movies. It's okay. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and have daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dream that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name I did not send them declares the Lord for thus says the Lord of hosts when 70 years are completed for Babylon I will visit you and I will fulfill to you, fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places that I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in to exile. Your notes uh, in the middle of your worship guide give us a thesis statement. And that is, considering our problems and God's providence, and, and God's providence helps us see that our lives, no matter how difficult, have the capability of showing we believe God to be both present and powerful. Therefore we, and then we see how this breaks down, 29, 1 through 3, because we are the people of God, we are called to look back. What do we mean when we say that we would look back? The first three verses give you points of reference for the Hebrew people as to what had taken place to get them to their current situation. And as if you were a Jewish person reading this, if you were a Jewish person hearing this, as you heard these names, you will be thinking as to how they had brought you to the scenario that you happened to be in. And we look back because we have to consider our contribution to our situations. Look, sometimes life just deals you a bad hand. And sometimes when you look at what takes place in your everyday life, the things that you're walking through, you have no control over whatsoever. Sometimes what we would define as a bad hand is actually God's good hand for us that has a long end in mind. But when we look at this passage and we talk about what it means for us to look back, we look at the nation of Israel and here's what we find with them. Judah in particular, because the nation has been divided into two pieces that I do not have time to go into the depth of at this point. 
But you have the nation of Judah that is being ransacked by Babylon. And the reason for this is because they have made decisions that have caused them to be in a place where they would be ransacked. They have done things and said things. They have believed things that are unlike the God of the Bible. Now God is still providential in their scenario. However, in his providence, we see that their decisions are intertwined with that. So that we would see the providence that is taking place. I'm what some would historically call big boned. I've been big boned my whole life. However, on top of those big bones, I have also historically placed uh, big burgers, big bags of chips, and big bowls of ice cream. I have contributed to this. I always wore husky jeans when I was a child. And I could never understand what a Siberian sled dog had to do with my pants. But I have made decisions in my 40 years that have caused me to be the size that I am. When you read through this passage, you have the nation of Israel. Of course God's providential in who I am. Because God's providential in who all of us are. But the nation of Israel has made decisions that have placed them where they are. And God says to them in the first three verses, you need to consider what took place, what you did to bring yourself to this place. Let me give you a little bit of background. The people at this point have been stuck in idolatry and they are dishonoring God. They not only dishonored God, they dishonored the true prophets. They were stiff-necked and stubborn when the Lord gave them direction, and they refused to accept that direction. Up to this point, God has been warning them through the prophets to turn and repent, or they will face punishment. Yet they did not take heed. By this point, they have been defeated by the Babylonians, and they are in the middle of what turns out to be three deportations to captivity in Babylon over a 20-year period. There are some people already in captivity and there are other people in Jerusalem waiting to be taken. Jeremiah is in the middle of that. All the while, there are false prophets saying to them, nothing bad is going to happen and then bad things happen. That God will protect them, yet God has stepped away from them. That once the exile begins, that it will not last long. And as they look at this situation, they keep hearing the voices that they want to hear rather than the voice that God has given them. How much easier is it for us to hear the voices that we want to hear rather than the voice that God gives us? This is a letter from Jeremiah to those in exile. And it's a response to their false prophets. Because these false prophets are telling them this is only going to last for two years. And it's going to last 70. So, we look back and we consider our contribution. Not only do we consider our contribution to where we are and why we are and what's happening, when we look where we are and why we are alongside of God's providence when our eyes are opened he shows us that we are to cultivate our circumstance grow where you're planted is a really popular phrase and in growing where you planted it means you 
right now are where you are because God has allowed this to happen. Now, hear me. Uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar. If you're to read through our, our church membership and bylaws, we talk about the idea of, of our view of the providence of God and how important that is. And that sustains us and that holds us. And, and that is something that we cling to. And as we talk about God's providence, we have to be very careful. And the reason that we must be very careful is there are times when you have crews of people who lean into what we call the Reformed camp of theology that we separate ourselves altogether from the importance of decision-making and how our decisions affect our everyday how the things that we say and do can cause a terrible outcome and we at times whitewash that by simply saying, oh, that's just the providence of God. Yes, it is the providence of God, yet He has given us the ability to make decisions in the midst of His providential rule and reign over creation. And the hope of God is that as we, who are his people, make decisions that we would be thinking through, do these decisions honor him or do they not? Because for many of us, what we do when we negate our responsibility in anything that we say or do is we lean away from trusting in God into this idea called fatalism, which is completely contrary to everything that God teaches us. The idea that we are people who have the ability to impact our situations is very present in scriptures. Otherwise, why would God warn? Why would God direct? Why would God try to course correct these nations? Why would God send prophets? Why would God send priests? Why would God offer kings? Why would God give directors if we were simply supposed to exist and never think through how what we say and what we do impacts our lives. He says to them in verses 4 through 6, you're going into a situation and I want you to think through what it means for you to be where you are and why you are when you are. Go with me 4 through 6. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Again, he sent them. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and, and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. I'm putting you there... You've made decisions that would get you there. But now that you're realizing the mistakes that you were making, make the most of it. And get comfortable. It's like when you send your kid to their room. Maybe you don't do that. And you tell them they're going to be there a while. You better get comfortable. And then every time they try to walk out of the room, you tell them to get more comfortable on their next trip in. Look what takes place in our lives. 
it's all because of the fall. Sin has infused itself into our very being. We can't make good enough decisions to please God. However, as we are in the scenarios that we are in, God does not want us to lean away from Him, from him but to lean towards Him. And to make the most of where we are because we are His people. Because we do belong to Him. In what? When you think through what is taking place in your life right now, how much time is spent thinking, I want out of this? And how much time is being put into the idea of, though I don't love this, God has me here for some reason. God has me here for an important reason. Be where you're planted. It's interesting to hear the stories that, that are told when we consider where we're planted. We have church members who have dealt with hospitalization over the last year. And it's incredible to hear stories from families like the Fontenot's as to how God used a lengthy stay in a hospital for his good to the ends of the earth as they were just present. Our worship pastor's house flooded. I made him lead worship the next Sunday. But to consider how God has used him and his wife in their neighborhood for the sake of God and his kingdom... To hear stories of people who've lost loved ones. And the, and the stories they were able to tell. Not because of anything other than what took place providentially was an opportunity. Those are all things we can't control. What about the things that we can? Stories of... People who are addicted to, to drugs who God has used to bring to the other side of that. Yet in the midst of where they are right now, because of what took place, they can have conversations about how good God is. Story after story after story. Your stories of God seems to be terrible things for the sake of His good. So when we calligraphy, which I'm not even sure is a verb, about the plans that God has for us, we cannot sidestep that the wallows, wallowing in despair over things we can or cannot control helps us to see and declare that God's plans never cease to be good. So we look up. Verse 7, look up. Some of you literally looked up, and I appreciate that. Not only am I going to put you in this city, I want you to seek the welfare of the city. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Welfare. 
In its well-being, you will find your well-being. In you seeking to make the most of your horrific situation, you'll find rest and solitude. You'll find what the Hebrew people call shalom. Not because God is the prince of prosperity, because He's not. Because He's peace. In all honesty, we use the word prosperity terribly. Why in the world, how in the world can we be people who ask God to help us to prosper when, in all truth, we're the most prosperous people in the history of the world? You should know that because you brushed your teeth with clean water this morning. I hope. But what about when you lean in and they're still not kind? Because, because that was, is what we would think would be the natural outcome. You seek the welfare of these people. If you're kind and you're nice to your captors, then they will eventually leave Babylon and Baal and all the foreign things that they worship and they'll worship your God. That's the goal, right? But that's not what happens. Psalm 137 that Jared read from earlier. They didn't receive that desire. If that was the desired outcome, they didn't get that. The psalmist says that the Babylonians, while they looked at their captives, they mocked them. And they said, sing us another song from Zion. But God is ever present. God is there. God is working. God is weaving. God is doing what only God can do. He's using this time to prepare these people for something better. Look up and call up to your Creator. So you'll realize He's with you. We also see this, that we're to look out for terrible voices. Cut out corruption, we may say. Verse 8 and 9. They're there in captivity. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, don't let your prophets and your diviners... That phrase is... That pronoun is very important. Because they had taken the voices of those they wanted to hear and they had elevated those to the silencing of prophets like Jeremiah. Because if we're being truthful, would you rather hear someone who's saying, this is going to be really bad, or this is going to be legitimate? Don't let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams that they dream. Because it's a lie. And they're prophesying to you in my name. But I did not send them. Heretics abound. In all honesty, there's a little heresy in every one of us. If you don't realize that, there's heresy in you right now. 
I have to see that. I can lean into, I would rather this be good than seeing where God has me. Lean away from those voices. Well, how do we do that? Well, we do that by being people who are in Scripture. We do that by being people who are committed to, to growing together, not individually, because on the Bible, when we read through this, these yous are plural. This isn't plans that he has for you, for the back of your comfort color t-shirt. These are plans that he has for the people who are in covenant with him. So God would say to his people... Lean into how I've communicated with you. By being bound together as, as a family. When we as a church talk about what it means for us to function and how we function and the importance of things like groups and why we get together every Sunday morning and the reason that I want to send you to a house where we're going to make you talk about passages and you're thinking to yourself, Chad, it's really weird to go into a house because I'm an introvert because all that lives in Lake Jackson are introverts. Chad, if you make me go into this, true people, it is true. I'm still processing it one year in. If you make me go into one of those houses, they're going to make me talk like with my mouth. I don't get a spreadsheet. Nothing. The way that we, as God's people, most reflect the teachings of God's Word are to be in community with one another for our good to the ends of His glory. Your relationships with one another matter. They matter. Your relationships with people who you have invested in for years, they matter. Your relationships with new people who are sliding in and out of our community, they matter. Your relationships with brand new neighbors for the sake of eternity, they matter. The conversation that you're having about the Bible with People who share in your faith family, they matter because those things prepare us to talk to people who are outside of our faith. God is preparing the nation of, of Judah, the, this nation, this separated nation, because He's about to do something. So are you telling me That if God, when bad things happen, even if it's my bad, like we'll just call it my bad. Bad stuff starts to happen. I'm doing really dumb things. But I start to look around and say, you know what? God's got me here. And, and if I'll just call out to him, he'll straighten this out. He keeps telling me he's going to straighten it out. Mims and Paul were at the house. I don't know. How many of you have... Children who are in the range of maybe babies to 15 years old. Anybody have those kids at their house right now? We know what happens when grandparents show up. 
They just start like making it rain toys and stuff like that. Like, like here, here's twenty five dollars. Do as you will. Uh, I, I, okay. So we we have Mims and Paul come in. They really are made of gold. They're they're just some of the best people on earth. Noli the other day had a situation with Mims where she'd been rude to her. You can't be rude to Mims. It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad for a long time. But she'd been rude to Mims, and she sensed it. Have you ever watched your child sense that they've done something they should not do? Could you just raise your hand so you know? Yeah, I, I see it in her face, that, that sparkle in her eye that may or may not be evil. Um, so, Noli, I watch as she goes up to Mims and she sincerely apologizes. You've watched that happen, right? Where where that grandkid or kid sincerely apologizes to mom and dad and the grandparent does what grandparents do because we're the, the, you should be slow to anger because Jesus is slow to anger. She leans in and she hugs her and they hug it out and Nolly heads to the back door. But then Nolly looks up and said to her, Hey, Mims, I thought you were going to give me a forgiveness candy. What do you mean forgiveness candy, you little hooligan? Get outside. <laughs> this idea of immediate gratification. In God's providence and in our poor decisions and sometimes just in our poor situations, the fix isn't immediate just not it doesn't mean God's not there God's really there but there are times we have to slug through things that aren't easy share with you guys before I was 16 years old when my mom passed away and there was begging that took place there like God could you just fix this could you make her not die anyone who's walked through the death of a loved one you've prayed that prayer 24 my, my brother was diagnosed with with cancer and I just begged God God could you just Help me to understand why this is happening. And could you fix this? April of 2004, he passed away. I never had a great relationship with my dad. Uh, he, he's... We didn't live life the same way. We, he didn't seem to think much of things of faith. He did love me. I believe that he loved me. I got a call in May of 15 and he was hospitalized and he passed away. All of these things are horrific. Even now thinking through them they're horrific. But I don't think God ever walked away from me. God is for us. He's in covenant relationship with us. 
We can know the promises of passages like Jeremiah 29, 11, when we consider the wholeness of it, because it happens, he's there in the, the terrible things. One, one friend of mine pointed out to me the other day that the, the problem with our thinking about bleak situations and how they never are going to course correct is that when you're reading through the Bible and things seem to be the most bleak and terrible and dreary, those are the moments when God seems to be the most at work. Let me give you some examples that he shared with me. You had Abraham and his infertile wife, Sarah. God was at work in that, eventually providing Isaac. The the Jewish people were enslaved to Egypt, and God was at work in that whole captivity, eventually delivering them. You have the captivity to the Assyrians, the captivity to the Babylonians. They're always captive to somebody. They weren't great decision makers. There was 400 years of silence right before Jesus. They were ruled over, basically enslaved by the Romans. Bleak situations. You have a teenage girl who figures out that she's pregnant in a world where if you're a teenage girl who is unmarried and pregnant, you lose your life. Bleak scenario. You have a band of terrified men who watch their leader be crucified brutally in front of the entire world. You then have another man who had spent his entire life persecuting the church of Jesus who would eventually go on to write the bulk of the New Testament. In every one of these bleak, bleak scenarios, we have to put ourselves into that and not try to overlook it because in that bleakness, we will eventually see the presence of God moving and at work. So what do we need to do with this passage? We need to look to something or we need to consider our Christ. Go with me verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Seventy years. Nobody gets that tattoo in Hebrew. Nobody puts Jeremiah 29, 10 on their forearm. I'm going to be in prison for 70 years. Sign me up, Jesus. Nobody gets that. You don't get tattoos about prison. You get tattoos in it. (laughs) Seventy years. How old are you now? How old will you be in seventy years? Because God just came to a nation of people and said to them, Hey, I've got a plan. But unless you're a six-year-old, you're probably not going to see it. Plans for welfare, verse 10, verse 11, let's go. 
for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and plans that are not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. We don't need to ask what is the plan. We need to think through who it is. Because the plan for an Old Testament nation for redemption and freedom is the plan that someone in Lake Jackson in 2018 has for redemption and freedom. Jesus is always the plan. There's a Messiah coming and they don't even know who he is. But that's God's plan. That's never not the plan. That's terrible English. But it's a really good Bible. It's irresponsible for us as New Testament Christians to look at the promises of Israel's redemption and not the person of the Redeemer. Jesus at the Last Supper, we talked about that a little bit in our Good Friday service. There are around 60 of us here. The rest of you are invited next year. (laughs) Work through that. At the Last Supper, Jesus makes it so that the covenant is something that every one of us are invited into. New covenant in His blood. Jesus is purchasing all of God's promises for us through the death of Jesus and they are delivered in his resurrection. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20 all of God's promises to all of us now are yes in the person of Jesus. So regardless of where we are and why we are and when we are and how we are and whatever we are God says to us lean in to Jesus. Come after Jesus. Pursue Jesus. Because God's using the 70 years of captivity to restore them, to make them what they are supposed to be. Verse 12, You will come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will see me, seek me, and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Now, seeking with all of our heart, it's the idea of us really giving ourselves over to finding Jesus in the midst of where we are because Jesus is in the midst of your circumstance. He's not left it. He's there for it. Seek after me with all of your heart. Now, we know what seeking is. Like this morning, one of my 11 children lost some earbuds that I was looking for. And I was seeking for those, but I wasn't really seeking for those. But if I'm at the mall, because I've lost a bet, and it's crowded, and I'm running around that place, and one of my kids goes missing because they're always trying to touch things that give them the flu, and I can't put my eyes on them, that's seeking with your whole heart. That's seeking like it matters. Most of us lean into seeking after God as if it's something that is helpful, beneficial, but not necessary. Seek 
me wholeheartedly and I will restore your fortunes. Restore your fortunes. What's he mean by that? This is not him saying that I'm going to give you money to swim in. I'm not filling your storage pod with cash. This is God restoring, refining us. Making us what he would have us to be. What he intended And I will gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. I'm not going to leave you behind. So God's promises for us that we find in passages that we like to take and Use and sometimes misuse. There's truth that's there. But knowing the whole truth helps that truth to be capitalized and held up high. So whatever you're walking through, God's in it. It's part of it. He's not leaving you. He's for you. He's made promises to you. And those promises are held not by anything other than the person of Jesus and what he has done so that you can be the person that God has created you to be. A new person. A whole person who, who is able to seek after him. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Look, they're going to start singing, and, and, and here's what I want you to do. Um, I don't want you to sing yet. Our Baptist tendencies cause us to jump up when we hear instruments. Don't do that. I, I want to ask them to sing over us for a few moments. And as they sing over you about how great the Lord is, I want you to just list off the things that you're going through just so that you can give some consideration to them. And I want you to know that God's not left that stuff. He's in the midst of it. Eventually, I want you to stand up and sing, not because everyone else starts to stand up and sing around you, but because you're ready to confess, the Lord is great. And you can say that and you can sing that loudly because He's not left you because you're dealing with sickness or you're dealing with a rebellious teenager or you're dealing with cancer or you're dealing with whatever you're dealing with. And whether you controlled that or contributed to it or not, He's still there. And He can use that. So you work through that there at your seat. Maybe you would even go as far as to, to make your chair a place that you kneel 
and posture yourself to call out to the Lord this morning.